Rapp of the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is among the most influential of those writers working within the discipline known as Sabermetrics. And he's currently in the employ of Fox Sports. His name is Rob Nyer. With Fox Sports, Rob Nyer has recently launched a microblog, a microblog called Just a Bit Outside, with, I guess, uh, something that's even smaller than a microblog, perhaps a sidebar, you might call it, called Baseball Joe. We discuss in part Nyer's ambitions for Just a Bit Outside, the origins of both Just a Bit Outside and Baseball Joe, and also uh, some of the more representative deaths deaths of 19th and early 20th century baseball players. Of course, anyone who listens to this conversation will also be rewarded by learning what question was so provocative and profound that it caused Rob Nyer to pause a full eight seconds before answering it. Wow. Probably my... mid-30s. It is Fangraphs Audio. It does feature Rob Nyer, and it begins right now. chose when I was 20 years old. Uh, well, that's still you. I mean, like, I use R-O-B-N-E-Y-E-R, all small letters for stuff, and that's me. Yeah. And Sestouli is you. It, I just, it just fits. That's all I'm saying. Okay, fine. How long do you think, uh, how long do you think you've been you? <laughs> well. I mean, is there a certain time, so I'll tell you, like, I think, I think I've, I've resembled, like, since age 14. 14 is I went away to school to a high school away and I met I like I made friends for the first time and I I think that you know I've changed as a person since then but generally speaking I don't I think like uh, something that is uh, central to who I am is has existed since then yes I it took me a few seconds to process the question and like three words into your explanation I I realized what you meant or at least what I hoped you meant yeah um well, I have two answers for that. One is that, on some level, I do believe that the self doesn't exist. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, because we're we are recreating ourselves every nanosecond. Right. But right. But a and lot. But a lot of times, there's a there's a narrative that exists. Yes, there absolutely is a narrative. Um, but you know, toward to that end. When I, I just recently, I read something a couple of days ago, just accidentally. I was Googling something, and I, and I happened across an article, and I started reading it. And when I got about halfway through, I thought, hmm, I wonder who wrote this. And you know who wrote it? You. I did. This is something that I wrote about six months ago. I had no recollection of having written it, and I didn't recognize myself in it. Um. So I really do believe that every nanosecond uh, there's a new Rob Nyer, and it's pointless to even think much about the the one in the last nanosecond. Of course, we all have histories, and to get to, to give, give you a, a better answer to your question, um, sometime in my wow, probably my. Mid thirties. That was a that was um, a that was a deep pause. Yeah, well, I had to remember exactly what brought it on. Yeah. It was in my mid thirties when 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's a shame that this is sort of the opposite of, of, of Buddhist thinking, which is where the whole thing about the self comes from. Um, it wasn't until the, my mid-30s when I began to feel validated by external events. Um, when, when people, strangers, were suddenly telling me that they enjoyed my work and found it worthwhile and, 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 and someone emailed me and said, I love what you're doing, you should write a book. Um, and, you know, I, I wish this wasn't true, but I think that for me to really sort of figure out who I was and become the person that I sort of am now, from nanosecond to nanosecond, you know, my self-esteem was low enough that it was important to me that people made me feel welcome in the world, and I hadn't really felt that way very often before. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you could. I think you could. Uh, what you're saying, you could um, re-summarize that without w- without being cynical about it, and say that maybe you found something like a community. Obviously, praise is nice, uh, but uh, finding a community. Uh, in finding a group of people who, um, with with whom you, I guess I would say, with regard to that people, you like how you appear uh, through their eyes. That's a that's a pleasant thing. It is, yeah, it is pleasant. Mm-hmm. I wish it weren't quite so pleasant, and I do try to leaven it with self-deprecation and modesty and all those lovely qualities. But um, but you know it. it yeah, I mean, I I, I was at um, the All Star Game um, last week. I guess it was just last week, and um, actually it was the Home Run Derby. And I was walking through the concourse at the ballpark, and I just hear this, "Hey, Rob Nyer!" And I turn around at somebody I'd never met before. He said, "Yeah, I'm." Now I don't remember his name, but um, <laughs> he was very nice. He said, "I just wanted to say hello, shake your hand. I really enjoy your work." And that was it. And that that sort of thing makes me feel better about you know feel more comfortable in my skin as they say than um, than if those things never happened it's just nice to be appreciated um, right, right yeah by people who don't have to appreciate you you know my mom's always loved me and, and uh, you know and that's that's a wonderful thing um, but um, yeah i think it was the i think it was getting an audience for my work and having people Say that they enjoyed what I did, um, and that I made a small difference in their lives. That that really made a difference for me. Right. Yeah. The problem is the difficulty is one cannot always depend on doing that. That's right. And uh, so it's nice to have. Or uh, once you you know, one time you could be uh, beloved by many, and then uh, um, for whatever for whatever reason, for things that you may not reasons you may not even understand, they may turn on you, Rob Meyer. They have turned on me. Some people have turned on me, and and it it makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, it, it you know just less than a year ago that exact thing happened, and it was a difficult thing for me to uh, to deal with. Um, and the way that I deal with it is by cutting those people out of my life to whatever degree that I can, because um, I don't deal well with the negativity. Was that the uh, was that the the uh, the radio commentator in San Francisco article? That's right. Now, when when you wrote that piece, and essentially, if, if I could summarize your piece, probably poorly, but I'll try to summarize it. The idea was, what this guy said was wrong, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful how um, 
I guess, like how gleefully we rake people over the coals because that can be us and maybe we – that could be us and maybe we didn't know that we were entering – we were going to be – we were going to be at a point like that around which people would rally. Yeah, that was a part of it. Um, I think my my general worldview uh, in, in, like that from the record because I hate that term. My general take on the world <laughs> is that we would all be happier. Well, most of us would be or should be, and certainly uh, better off if we were a little bit less judgmental. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't judge the things that people do and that's inevitable um, but what I would say is that we have all done things in our lives that we later regret or that we later come to believe we shouldn't have done or that we're wrong whatever um, no, no, everybody if they're at all honest with themselves um, and I didn't have a problem with people saying that what what this person said was incorrect I flat out said I don't I disagree with them um, but for me there's a big leap from saying you disagree with someone and that you actually believe that they were wrong um, and calling for for example in this case that person's job um, you know look every everybody listening to this everybody who castigated me I can almost guarantee has a relative who said something <laughs> offensive over the years. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's actually, I thought that's what Thanksgivings are for. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Uh, and you wouldn't necessarily support what that person says. If you're brave, you might even call them on it. But you probably wouldn't march off and call for that person's head or ask for them to be fired from their job. Now, if someone engaged in a pattern of that sort of behavior, I'm not talking about your relative, but a, a radio host, sure. Um, at some point it reaches a level of inappropriateness, but I thought people were very quick to jump on this person. Um, and what was even more disconcerting, and I guess more demoralizing for me, was how many people were quick to jump on me. Um, even though I said he was wrong, even though I said I don't believe what he said, merely saying that we should stop for a second and consider the possibility that this is this person has, uh, you know, does have a real does have, uh, you know, maybe some goodness in his heart. Maybe we can't know everything that's in there. Maybe we should take a, a deep breath. No, this all, all this happened within about a half an hour, mm-hmm. an hour. That's all it took people to not only judge him, judge the sort of person that he is based on five lousy minutes of radio. Quite frankly. But also then to judge who I am, and uh, I don't know. I just it was it was a really interesting lesson. You know, I, I think it was incredibly um, it was difficult for me at the time. I, that 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 day I actually was on vacation, just kind of trying to catch up on my reading and and uh, relax after the baseball season had ended, and and it sort of ruined that day for me. Um, but like a lot of things in retrospect. Um, it was a really good lesson for me. It was a great life experience. Um, I, so I, I can't even say that I wish it hadn't happened. Um, I wish that people hadn't been hurt, those who were hurt, but um, I, I'm glad it happened on a personal level because 
um, I'm a better person for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, you seem like a. I'm talking to you right now. You seem pretty good. <laughs> you seem decent. <laughs> say. Uh, how, you, how have you been, Rob Nyer? Uh, I think. God, I wanted to ask you before we went on the. Before you hit the button, or where, I don't even know where you are living right now. Are you in your new place in New, new England? Uh, so almost, yeah. I'm. I am in New England. Uh, we we got back about a week and a half ago, and um, in about two weeks, I guess we're going to move into our new place in uh, wow. New Hampton, New Hampshire. Excellent. I can't. Well, make sure you send me your address because you know I like to. I like you, to use the, the yeah. addresses. Right. Well, yeah, and I don't know. I might maybe I've said this before. Uh, the last two, my wife's last two birthdays, uh, not, uh, my father has not remembered them, um, but you have. So there you are. <laughs> He's happy well, about I, you know, I have a system. Yeah. I'm, when it some, comes to some things, I'm highly organized, and birthdays is one of the one of the things I'm really good at, at organizing. Right. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about this, Rob. Um, I'm not too smart, but I was uh, recently... I, I had a revelation. It's, I had an embarrassing revelation, like aged, you know, like in, in my 30s, that uh, when a guest makes an appearance on a late night talk show, um, so say uh, who's someone like George Clooney might appear, or Natalie Portman, or Louis C.K., a, a comedian that I think many of us enjoy. Uh, there's generally there's generally a motive for that appearance. Right. He's uh, generally promoting. Of film or new album or whatever, and uh, as opposed to just just showing up to talk with David Letterman or Jimmy Kimmel or whomever, right? Uh, but I I actually did not realize that till my thirties. I should have <laughs> I should have realized there was an ulterior motive, but I didn't. But I was thinking about this. Oh, also I didn't realize till too late, maybe a little earlier in my thirties, is that frequently they have mapped out the conversation beforehand. That's yeah. I think more than frequently. That's, more than that's uh, well. Did you? Did you? I assume you never watched um, uh, the Larry Sanders show. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen Larry Sanders show. I don't know if I've seen every episode, but yes. Well, you know, because that that got into the behind the scenes thing about talk shows, and of course they mapped all the mapped all the questions out beforehand, and everything was almost not scripted per se, but there there would be very few surprises with most with with with, with Almost all talk show guests, because right. that's the last thing a network, a television network wants is surprises. Right. Yeah, but so here's what I wanted to say is that uh, we have not, uh, none of this is mapped out this conversation. However, um, well, it's not so much that you're not here to promote something, but I have invited you on to find out more about a new project on which you're working. So it, in a sense, it it is more similar to those late night shows than other times than you've been on, for example. Uh, yes, and I appreciate you doing that. We yeah. didn't, for anybody listening, we didn't talk about this. Carson didn't ask me to come on, and I didn't ask him to come on the show so I could talk about it. Um, and we, I've been on this, your podcast often enough where, you know, we don't need a reason. No, but I was, cu- I'm curious about it because, oh. uh, uh, because I, well, you were, what, how long have you been working for Fox now? A couple months? Three months? Uh, five months? It's been about seven months now. Oh, seven months. Yep. And um, and I think part of it, it seems as though that uh, Fox is interested in paying more attention to their baseball coverage. Would that be fair to say? Wait, wait first of all, you, you got a snack going there? Just a little crinkly. Oh, man, I just spilled a bunch of dog water. All right. <laughs> Quit distracting me. Continue with your interview. <laughs> okay. What, uh, 
What Fox is trying to Fox is trying to make their baseball coverage more robust. Yes, I think that's fair to say. Um, and, you know, honestly, no, I wasn't I wasn't privy to the rationale behind doing that. But um, I think that, and I think that whatever we're doing the baseball page, if it if it it seemed to work well. This will happen with other sports too. I don't think it's just baseball, but we do have a, a huge baseball presence, and we also have uh, some really talented people. You know, obviously Ken Rosenthal and, and J.P. Morosi and Gabe Kapler and C.J. Nikowski um, are about as good as, at, at what they do as anyone. Um, but the the baseball, the, the main MLB page at FoxSports.com. Like a, like MLB pages at a lot of the big websites and basically ESPN and I'm sure there are a couple others like this too. They just have so many demands for space. You know, you've got the TV side wants space and of course there have to be a lot of ads and you've got regionals, regional sites providing content and there are videos of the last, the last guy who got hit in the nuts with a baseball and it, it, it just becomes overwhelming to the point where it's hard to find Certain things. Maybe it's even hard. It's hard to find your 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 most notable content, even because there's so many things crowding the design. So, I think the rationale was, let's try something different, where someone can go and, and, and get just the national stuff, basically. And uh, you know, if you look at the the design for our new site, the micro site, they call these things. Um, it's incredibly clean. Um, it's not the cleanest website you'll ever see, at least on a, on a, on a from a, from a, a big site like like Fox Sports. Um, and certainly the Grandland model was was useful to us, as were others. I, I looked at the, we looked at the the Upshot, the New York Times new microsite, Five Thirty Eight. Um, there's a sport, there's a football one called Monday Morning Quarterback. Um, so you know all of those things informed the design and the editorial ethos of, of this page and and so uh, with regard to to this the just about outside page uh we have that and then there's even what is that a sidebar the baseball joe area um yeah it's i guess you could call it a, design wise it's a sidebar yes okay all right just curious and <laughs> and you know there's sort of i sort of a long backstory i, I wanted to do something like baseball joe Eight years ago at ESPN, and I was turned down cold, um, which was frustrating. I thought it was a really good idea. And then a couple of years later, Twitter arrived, and it turned out it was a good idea. And uh, and then when I went to SB Nation, which is my last job, th- I was there for three years. And we had something much like baseball, Joe. We called it the hot corner. Um, and I, I love that. I love that part. I think it's just nice to have a place where you can go and write 200 words if you don't feel like writing 800. Right. Um, it's just important to me because I can't write four or five 800-word columns every day. I don't have the energy, but I do have the energy to write one or two columns and two or three 200-word posts. Um, and I just like, you know, I see something out there on the web, and I think, hey, I want to I show everybody that, or I want to riff on that a little bit. And it's nice to have that place. And so far, it's been it's been a week, but it's been wonderful. I mean, Ken Rosenthal's done some really nice little bits, and uh, Gabe Kapler's done some, and we've we've assigned, uh, or we've I shouldn't say we've assigned, we have um, we've been blessed 
<laughs> with Dave Cameron of Fangraph fame. Yeah, I see. Yeah, he's, Dave Cameron he did the most recent posted baseball Joe as, as yeah, we speak. Yeah, on uh, Kendrick Morales, and he's done three completely on-point, um, amazingly timely uh, little commentaries, and I just think it's a great little format. Yeah, it is. It's in uh, less reading, too. <laughs> because reading is ugh, so many words. The uh, so just a bit outside, I assume. Well, it could be a reference to anything, but I assume it, in part it's a reference to the uh, what the Bob Euchre character from Major League. That is exactly right. Now, but what about Baseball Joe? Uh, Baseball Joe, I think you'll appreciate this. Baseball Joe was originally a, a, a name that was. Um, a URL that was purchased by our mutual friend Rob Nelson, uh, uh, former Portland Maverick, uh, inventor of Big League Chew bubblegum, and inveterate, in, uh, inveterate uh, idea man of yeah. and purchaser of web domain names. And he he grabbed Baseball Joe a long time ago. He thought it'd be good for something. And he, I've been trying to. Oh God! And he would not. Yes, it's coming back to me. He would talk <laughs> about it all the time, <laughs> among other things. And and uh, I've been trying to use Baseball Joe for on so, somewhere for years, and I finally got Fox <laughs> to bite. And it was so thrilling to actually see it on the page. Baseball Joe, Baseball Joe, and and Nelly. That's what we call Rob Nelson. Right. Nelly was gracious enough to let me have the name. Uh, no compensation. Oh, no. Um, although if we ever do baseballjoe.com, he's going to have to get a cut of that. But, but for now, no compensation. And, um, I just think it's a fun name. It's got a double meaning. It's sort of, you know, half bazooka Joe and half, you know, your, your morning cup of baseball coffee, essentially. And if you go to Baseball Joe, you will be redirected to the Big League Shoe website. I did not know if that. If you go to baseballjoe.com, yeah, yeah. I, I never tried it. Yeah. So don't if so if you're interested in reading Rob Nyer, uh, do not uh, do not insert baseballjoe.com into your into your but web you browser. You can go to jabo j a b o dot com. That will redirect redirect you to this new website. Is that, that right? J a b o. J a b o. Try jabo dot com. I'm doing it right now. All right. We are browsing the internet together. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> um, now, so yes, far as we have, we have we have jabo dot com and. I wanted to pronounce it Jabo, by the way, but um, uh, Jabo won out. Uh, okay. So we, we have Jabo.com and we have JustAbitOutside.com, and then if there are links also from straight from the FoxSports.com MLB page. So there are many w- easy ways to get there. Now the uh, what the tagline of the site is is passionate, nuanced, authentic. Yes. Uh, I'm curious, just <laughs> the, the three, the sort of the uh, the three adjectives like this. Is that borrowed from the the French motto, uh, "Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité"? It, yes, that was in my mind when I came up with direct, those three words. The most I, direct influence, yeah. It is true. Um, when I was putting the site together, I came up with a long list of words that I hope people might think of when they saw the site, and I just sort of used that as a guide for uh, my colleagues, essentially, and the designers. And when, when we, when the designer were putting it together. We came up with a logo just about outside, and I don't remember who. Somebody said, you know what, how do we explain to people what just a bit outside is? And I said, 
why don't we just grab three words? And they said, okay, we'll just grab three. And I said, great. And they grabbed three. And I think that I might have seen their three and liked two of them and not the third or liked one and not the other two or something. And I gave them three. And that's what we wound up with. Uh, a friend of mine, I asked him to look at the site, and he said he hates those three words. He thinks it's ridiculous. We should just we should just do what we're doing, not tell people what we're doing. And he's right. Um, but it's a marketing tool. And I think that after we've been – We've been here for a few more weeks or months. We'll probably take those words off because oh, they are a little silly. They are gimmicky. But we are trying to be those three things. Um, however gimmicky they might seem, I do want to, to, to hit those targets um, along with another couple of dozen. Now, they're an exact opposite uh, alphabetical order, so that was not the, deri- the, the deciding principle in terms of Correct. how to order them. Yep. Uh, I wonder if it was, uh, if it was phonetic at all. Uh, it was a sonic sonic principle. There absolutely was a sonic principle. It, okay. there, that that that's the order that sounded the best inside my head. That's okay. the, I, I really can't explain it any other way. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey Naya, just curious about these things. Is all I'm saying. It's funny because these are the same questions that I would ask if I were you. Mm-hmm. Which usually when I do interviews. People don't ask the questions I want them to ask me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I can't control the interviewer. What's happening here? But I'm not controlling you. But oddly, you seem to ask the questions I want to answer. Yeah. Well, we're, I think. Uh, I mean, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to compliment myself too much. But I'd say. I'd say uh, if I do have a virtue, it's curiosity, and I think that that's uh, that seems to be one of your myriad virtues, Rob Nyer. Uh, so uh, perhaps we share that in common. Let's ask. I do, let, think, that, I do think that there's, there's not enough curiosity out there. So yes, let's and ask. I appreciate, I appreciate yours. Well, I'll tell you something about which I'm curious, and about which uh, I'm sure some listeners are curious, and that is the Garland debacle, <laughs> or the, the Jeff Garland situation. Yep. Uh, Jeff Garland is a, I would say, notable American comedian. Uh, probably most famous for his role in Curb Your Enthusiasm as the agent, uh, as Larry David's agent. Uh, he has, I think, a, what is it? A, does he have a podcast of some note as well? Is that true? He does. It's called In Conversation. He, he'll sit down at the Largo in Los Angeles, a tremendous club. I've been there for a couple of the shows there, his shows. Um, and he will just interview someone who he finds talented and interesting. Yeah, and uh, and he was also at one point. I believe there are screen caps to prove it. He was uh, a um, what a prospective contributor to to Jabo. That is true. Yeah. Yep. But he is not now a, a contributor to to Jabo. Also true. Also true. And you wrote a post to that effect, but uh, it. All right. So it's strange to me. First, how? How? Why are you? Because here's the thing. Before I met you, I, you know, I would uh, see, I would see Rob Nyer, or I saw you. We, we went to some um, saber. We were at saber meetings at the same time. I hey, see, saber I say, meeting. Yep. As yeah, I say that is Rob. That is Rob Nyer. Look at that. Yeah. And uh, I thought this is this is Rob Nyer. But now that I know you, I mean, you're just a silly man. It's like most right. people that I know, yep. and that, that's usually what happens. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm curious. I'm curious how you, a silly man, was able to meet Jeff Garland, who was a famous person. Well, it it was an odd coincidence, basically. Um, uh, I have loved Garland's work for 
a, a long time. I guess the first time I ever really became aware of him was he was he played the character of Jeff, Larry David's agent, in the the one hour special that that preceded Curb Your Enthusiasm the series. It was mm-hmm. all it was a one hour little whatever I don't know we'd call it. It wasn't a pilot. It was just a one hour it was a one off um uh Curb Your Enthusiasm and uh and Garland was incredible. I'd never seen this guy, even though he'd been in sitcoms. They were sitcoms I'd never really watched. Um and I thought he was great. And uh, later read a piece in the New York Times about him, New York Times Magazine, and he just seemed like a really down-to-earth, um, funny, incredibly talented, maybe not quite as successful as, as he deserved to be, comedian. Um, and so I, you know, I really started following him, and then I listened to his podcast, and um, I realized uh, there's, a, there's a great scene. One of his movies is called... Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie now. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, an odd title. But cheese is in, who took my cheese? I think is what it's called. Um, and there's a scene, a brief scene. The movie set right outside of Wrigley Field. He's parked his car beyond the outfield walls um, while he's ruminating upon his his condition. Um, and then I sort of wondered. I wonder if this guy's a big baseball fan. Then I happened to see that his Twitter avatar was. Casey Stengel, and I thought, oh my God, this, he must be a huge baseball fan, and must be a fan of not just baseball but baseball history, right at my alley. Um, so at some point, I I tried to hit him up via Twitter, um, asking if he was could email me or or something. Never heard back. Basically, didn't even really think about it anymore. But somehow, I I found out that um, we have a mutual friend. Guy named Dan Epstein, who's written a couple of great baseball books, one on the 1970s and one on 1976, which just came out this spring, and I, I, I recommend it very highly. Oh yeah, and um, the first one I think was what big, big hair, plastic, big hair, big hair and plastic grass, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the new one is I think Stars and Strikes, baseball in '76 is, um, 18, 1976. It's a, I might even have it sitting right here. But anyway, um, yeah, I do. Stars and Strikes. There it is. Yeah, baseball in America in the bicentennial summer of '76. That was the first summer that I really followed baseball, so it, it really hits home for me, um, and it's really well done. It, just, it, it really is a it's a fine book. Anyway, Dan knows Garland from way back, and I said, you know, I don't want to impose, but do you think I, you could put me in touch with Garland? And he said, yeah, here's his email address. And one thing led to another, and it was a little convoluted, but ultimately I was in L.A. and Garland said come and meet me and so we went we met um at the hollywood market great spot for a meeting with a with a celebrity um and he was kind and funny and, and personable and and said he wanted to do it so that's how that started yeah and then it uh i guess it ended in a different way it uh, it seemed to, to be a little bit mysterious but uh i guess not as mysterious if you if you Blame it on Hollywood. Well, yes, that's what most people have been doing. Um, this is just the way these things work with lawyers get when lawyers get involved in whatever. Um, you know, he. This is this is all. Of this is basically in the public record. I don't think I'm revealing anything. Um, what I wrote in my piece was lifted straight from his emails to me, and then he actually tweeted something. Um, that I didn't see until a couple of days later, 
But essentially, as he tells the story, or as I've been led to believe by him, he just couldn't do it because we wouldn't give him the, the level of ownership of his work that he wanted. Um, he wanted, among other things, to have the power. He, he wanted to be able to tell Fox to remove his content from the site at a moment's notice, basically. And I think that I wasn't part of this process, but I think that we said, sorry, we can't do that. Or maybe we said, we don't really want to do that. And he shut down negotiations immediately. And that was it. This all was in the course of about 24 hours. So my real issue, the two things that were disappointing to me was that he waited until we'd already launched the site with his name and picture on the on the front page to, to let me know anything was, was wrong. Um, I think that's just inappropriate. Um, I'd given him plenty of warning that we were going live and I wanted to make sure everything was okay, and I didn't need nothing. He said, no, it's fine. And the other issue is that when he didn't get exactly what he wanted that minute, that was he was done. You know, he didn't shoot me an email saying, hey, I'm, ha- I'm getting some... I'm getting some some pushback from your lawyers. We got to figure something out. Nothing. Just yeah. you know, we said no, and then he told me I can't do it. And there was no room for just respectful negotiation or commiseration or yeah, these damn lawyers sure are a bummer. I wish I could do this, but I, nothing. Just just the the message. It's too complicated. I can't do it. See ya. Um, and you know, I. I as I said in the piece, I don't think he's a bad guy. I'm just, I was just disappointed. And I expressed my disappointment to him and then to anybody who wanted to read about it. I want to ask about uh, something not entirely related to that, but uh, that concerns baseball. And uh, I <clears throat> uh, sometimes you have chastised me, Rob Dyer, when I have exhibited something less than an encyclopedic knowledge of baseball history. Uh, especially such baseball history as occurred before uh, 1980, say. <laughs> like I think for at one point I did not know who uh, Bill Moose Scowron was. That, that's right. Yep. And you and you uh, you were very disappointed. Uh, I think that uh, what Marv Marv Thronebury. Marvelous Marv. Yep. Yeah, I did not know who he was, even though that was what uh, you referred. That was your. Those were your Thursday notes. Your Thursday Thronebury's at. Uh, at ESPN, and, and I did not know who that was, and you you once you also scolded me. <laughs> um, but so you obviously value uh, you value the, the history of the pastime. Um, one one aspect of it I will like, and I and I um, and I owe quite a bit to the baseball. There's a baseball necrology website that is pretty amazing, and I'm uh, forgetting the name of it at the moment, but I can tell you in one second. It is uh, not Baseball Undertaker. Uh, well, this is uh, here we go. Baseball. Uh, well, this is not great audio, but my point is that uh, there's a there's a particular site that I enjoy to this effect. Yep. And um, I will sometimes go to it and attempt and do some research on uh, notable baseball deaths from the past, in particular 19th century deaths. Yep. Um, or 19th century seeming deaths. <clears throat> so, for example, today at Knockgrass, I've posted. Uh, uh, there's a uh, there's a post there. Uh, baseball uh, ball players stabbed during a saloon fight. A brief list. Uh, it's really just it's really just it's just one person. It's Alabama Pitts. Does that name sound familiar to you? I, I know the name. Yeah, that's it. 
Probably you, because of this incident. Probably, probably because of this incident. So he was interesting for no fewer than three reasons. Uh, the first is, well, I guess four, if you include the fact that his name was Alabama Pitts. Um, the, another one is he joined the Navy at 15, which seems pretty young, right? Yes, exceptionally young. Yeah, you can, con- you can confirm that? <laughs> yeah, he j- so he joined the Navy at age 15 is one thing. Uh, the second thing is <clears throat> during his time at uh, Sing Sing uh, Prison, for w- which he was serving a uh, prison sentence. In uh, Austin, New York, yes, on yeah, Hudson. Sure. He, uh, due to a particularly progressive warden there uh, who introduced a number of uh, athletic programs, he became known as a very talented baseball and football player. And so after serving his uh, sentence, he then became both a professional baseball and football player. And then he died, uh, <clears throat> I guess at age 30 or, yeah, age 30, um, he was stabbed during a saloon fight because he tried to cut in on a couple who were dancing and the gentleman of that party took exception. That all sounds reasonable enough to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, but are you, but I, my, I guess my question is, um, are you running water, Nair? Uh, boiling water. Oh, okay. Are you, for, okay, so here's tea. the question. You're familiar yeah. with, uh, with baseball history. What are the, uh, so far as, uh, baseball deaths are concerned, gruesome baseball deaths, either early 20th or 19th century deaths? Gruesome, uh, not necessarily gruesome, but maybe also, um, uh, miserable, and sad, sad and miserable yep. or gruesome deaths, or behavior what, otherwise. What's in the question is what are my favorites? I had notable ones. Notable. Well, the, the first thing, and I, I am not an necrology expert, and those, those people do exist. I think there's a whole book of those. But um, uh, the most notable, of course, is Ed Delahanty. Oh, right. Now, does this involve a train and the Niagara? The Niagara Falls? He went over the falls, yep. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, what, he... All right. He was well, he was drunk a lot of the time, no? He was drunk a lot, like many players of his time were. He was so drunk on this particular train uh, that I believe he was traveling with his team. He was put off the train by the conductor, and nobody knows for sure, but probably wandered back down the tracks and... Uh, right off of an open jawbridge. Yeah, right into Niagara Falls. And then he saw, well, he probably would have fallen into the river and then been swept over the falls. Yeah, yeah right. That's going to leave a mark, isn't it? Usually, yeah, unless you're in a really, really well-constructed barrel. Yeah, right. But so he, uh, and that's how he died. That is how he died, yes. Yeah. Now, uh, if you were to guess, this is sometimes interesting. I don't know if you've ever done this. Of course, the, the war model, uh, the wins above replacement model is relatively new, Yeah. Uh, or just uh, in the yes, last 10, 10 years, yep. something like that? Yep. 10, 15. And uh, so we have uh, ideas of players, right, um, from the past, how good they were. But uh, because, you know, the, the war model is relatively new, it, it is not the case necessarily that um, even the m- most diehard among us has gone back and researched the relative values of all those players from the past, uh, including very good players, even like Ed Delahenty. Well, we have wars for all those guys. Yeah, we have them. I'm saying we have. I have not made a study of all the players that, that existed before the year 2002. 
I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So if you had to guess, Nair, uh, what Ed Delahanty's Fangraphs war was for his career, I'll, I'll let you have like a 10, you can Ooh. have a 10 war range. You can give me a well, 10 Well, yeah, let's get it first. Okay. Does Fangraphs war go before 1900? It goes, yeah, all the way to the beginning of time. Okay, because BaseballReference.com does not. So, okay, that's good to know. I believe it does. The only leagues we don't really have coverage for, and I think probably the margin of error, admittedly, is a little bit larger. Yes. For, uh, okay, so Delahanty. Delahanty's war, you want, you want plus or minus 10? This should be easy. I'm going to say 52 point, I'm not going to do point because I hate decimals in war. So 52. No, uh, much uh, much higher. Seventy, uh, seventy-three. It's about seventy-four. Wow. Yeah. He, he was. He even had a. He was. He had a relatively short career, didn't he? Well, on account of on account of yeah, he fell into to Niagara Falls. My point is, he wasn't like at the. He might have been at the end of his career because he was such an alcoholic, but he was probably what early thirties, maybe mid thirties. Uh, yeah, thirty-five was his last. His right, last. So year. he would he would have gotten assuming that he had been able to keep playing, he would have gotten into the eighties. Which is really, which is tremendous. Yeah, and it actually appears as though he was not anything. He was not worth anything, despite recording on average of say about the 400 plate appearances from his age 20 to 23 seasons. He accrued a grand total of about two wins over those four seasons, and then he really was excellent from his age 24 to 34 seasons, averaging I'd say about six to seven a year. And, he, you know, the, the baseball in that era, this is 19th century for the most part, it's a little dicey because you have leagues sprouting up and siphoning off players and all of a sudden an average player in a league might look tremendous the next year because half the, half of the good players in that league went to a different league. So, uh, I'm not sure I would put Delahanty into the Joe, Joe DiMaggio class, but he was, he was definitely a, a great player. Well, Joe DiMaggio, his uh, his career uh, contributions in terms of war are much. Oh, I was going to say much higher. He's only eighty three, eighty three, huh? He was pretty good though, from my I've been led to believe. I mean, eighty three is still a lot there. Eighty three. I'm surprised DiMaggio is that high. I mean, the guy missed three years because of the war, and then he quit when he was thirty five. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. So congratulations to Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, he missed a bunch because of the war, huh? Yep. Oh, look at that. Right in the middle of his career. Yep, same with, well, Ted Williams missed three seasons at the beginning of his career, and then two more in the middle. Because, what, he was in two wars, right? He was the, he was, he is the, I believe he is the only major leaguer who served, only significant major leaguer who served during both wars. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one who would have come close would be um, uh, Jerry Coleman, who just died? Long oh, yeah. time, right? Padres, Padres broadcaster. Yeah. Jerry Coleman served in both wars, but he was not yet a major leaguer in, during World War II. He, he got to the majors after World War. He served in, during World War II, got to the major leagues after World War II, and then was called back during the Korean War, just like Williams was. But Williams is the only guy who who served. Williams did not see combat in World War II. That's a misconception. A lot of people don't don't know that. He didn't go overseas in World War II, but he did it. He fell off the combat in the Korean War and almost got shot down and killed. He, uh, Ted Williams, his age 38 season is a, is a miracle, really. 
He was. It was. It was a ten-win season, age thirty-eight. Three eighty-eight. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. It, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, that's like a whole bunch of bananas. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, so along the lines though, of these uh, 19th century, early 20th century story, are there any other uh, stories or anecdotes from that period which you would regard as, uh, I would say, particularly characteristic, char- characteristic of that period? Oh, I think. Um, first of all, I am bereft of information about the dead ball era, especially the 19th century. Basically, the only thing I know about the dead ball era is what I read in The Glory of Their Times. And for anybody listening who hasn't read that book, it's certainly among the five or ten greatest baseball books ever written. It's just endlessly entertaining. Uh, tremendous stories in that book. Um, every chapter is filled with, filled with them. Um, the best story I know about uh, from that era, the one that I think about every so often still is the story of a guy named Charles Victory Faust, um, who showed up at the New York Giants camp. I believe it was in, it wasn't in spring it was on a road trip. I think it was in St. Louis. Um, this is off from memory. And, uh, asked John McGraw, the manager, for a tryout. And somehow he angled his way into a tryout. And he was a terrible player, but everybody thought it was, he was highly entertaining. So he kept around as a sort of mascot. And what makes the story truly bizarre is that they actually got him into a game uh-huh. that season. Um, and he actually got on base. And I believe actually scored a run. Baseball at that time, you know, teams would do stuff like that. Um, you could just put your mascot into the lineup and, or put him, let him bat. And then the other team might just let him score a run for fun. Uh, it was just, it was, it was, it, it's, it's actually, I've never really thought of it like this before, but in some ways, everything was taken far more seriously than it is now. I mean, uh, people got into much worse uh, fights. Uh, umpires were, were pummeled by players and by fans. Um, people lived and died with the game in one way more than they do now. Um, on the other hand, they didn't take the proceedings oftentimes all that seriously. You do all these, you see all these weird stunts. You see guys come out of retirement at the age of 50 and, and catch a few innings. Um, you, um, you know, if on the last day of the season, you might see every batter swing at every pitch and the game took 47 minutes to play. I mean, you never know, you never knew what was going to happen back then. Yeah, he, he appears to have been, uh, if I can add this, uh, he appears to have been hit by a pitch. Um, and, then to have stolen two bases, and yes, he scored a run. He also pitched, and I don't know if it was the same exact game. I don't. I don't have a game log right here, but he pitched two innings as well. Yeah, I don't remember. I think I want to say he got. He did get into, into two games, um, and I think maybe he he batted on the one and pitched in the other. I could be wrong, but sounds right. Yeah. It's, it's all in. It's all in the glory of their times. That's, that's where I where I first came across Faust was in the glory of their times and. The stories actually, the details are a little bit off in the book, but it's, they're close. Um, and, and it deserves to be noted that uh, as well, his death uh, was characteristic at the time. Um, he was committed, I guess it looks like probably about age 34, commi- uh, committed to a mental institution 
in uh, Stellacum, Washington, and died of tuberculosis there in June of 1915 at age 34. That's right. And at the time, the story goes, he was when he was committed or when he was ill, he was trying to figure out a way to get back to join the Giants who had fallen on a hard time. By the way, I missed a big part of the story, which is that the Giants sort of, their season sort of took off when he showed up, and he was considered a real good luck charm uh, that season. And then uh, when he was gone, things didn't go so well, and, and he, 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 he credited himself with the Giants' success and thought he owed it to them to get back to the club and, and, and didn't. Um, I've always wanted to, and this is a regret of mine, um, I don't have many, but that, this is one. He, he's buried not far from here. He, Stylacum um, is uh, just south of Tacoma, and I drive through Tacoma like three or four or five times every year. I'm driving right, I'm probably driving within six miles of his, his gravesite, which is a personal interest of mine, his gravesites of, 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 of notable players. And, and I still haven't been to visit, so I'll get there soon, one, one, of, these, one of these years, if not months. And uh, would you consider would you consider victory? Now his name was Charles Faust, uh, but they, they called him Charles. He was his official name was Charles Victor Faust. But Victor, that's right. They victory him, is what they they added that the players did at the time, or the, yeah. or, the or the writers did. What do you think about victory as a first name for a child? <laughs> you like that? I like it because you can you, it's, you, you can shorten it and have a, a really nice nickname. Yeah, uh, girl or boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vic or Vicky. Vic or Vicky, right? All right. Hey, uh, I think you've uh, I think you've fulfilled your obligations to Fangraphs Audio. Oh, wow. Well, you know we're we're partners now, you, me, and Fangraphs. So I'm always happy to do anything I can. Okay, well, that sounds great. Uh, well, let's uh, we'll say goodbye to the listening audience, and then uh, we'll talk a couple seconds, and then we'll we'll go. Okay. Thanks, All right. Carson. Well, thank you, thank you, Rob Nyer, uh, for joining us on Fangraphs Audio. That is Rob Nyer. Uh, of uh, just a bit outside, or uh, I guess Joba? No, no. Jabo. Jabo, right. Jabo. Jabo. Jabo.com. And Uh, Baseball Joe. And Baseball Joe. I am Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.